Well, isn't this exciting? As we've been saying, watching this race, seeing the polls loosen, tighten, liberals move ahead, the conservatives move back. We have so many moving parts. And then there's the news. How will it affect it? Jody Wilson-Raybould. Now we have other news about We Charity and how does it involve itself into the psyche of this election campaign? Joining us, Tom Korsky, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter. Tom, how are you? Oh, I'm well. Thank you, Arlene. You know, as we mentioned, there's so many things that are happening in our head. A lot of of news stories that are breaking that during an election campaign have another impact. We know we charity. It was in the headlines day after day, week after week, month after month. Now we have more information about just how much we charity spent when it came to Justin Trudeau's wife. We charity in a uh, submission counted almost $20,000 it paid in an expense-paid trip for Mrs. Trudeau and uh, the couple's daughter to fly to London for a We Day event, all-expense-paid trip, uh, business class tickets. Almost $20,000 was spent. Why is that significant? Well, it was the most uh, lavish junket the We Charity ever laid out for uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, and it occurred a month before cabinet and political aides began negotiating what became that famous $43.5 million grant to We Charity that was subsequently rescinded on disclosures of conflict of interest. Interesting timing, a lot of money. That's a lavish trip. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Trudeau contracted COVID yeah. as a result of it. The Prime Minister went into self-isolation. Everyone recalls that. The cost of the trip was not widely known. It was interesting. We found it interesting to see those figures, Arlene. But there's no doubt about it. We Charity was, uh, this is not a predominant theme in the campaign. But they did drive the Minister of Finance out of town on a rail. And that was uh, really something that, by parliamentary standards, was a big deal. We also know that his mother, Margaret Trudeau, was there as well. So we're starting to get a detailed look at what happened before the story exploded. They were close, weren't they? The Ethics Commissioner said there were relationships between the Prime Minister's family and the Kielberger brothers that, though, in his opinion, did not technically breach the Conflict of Interest Act, did propose uh, the uh, suggestion of conflict. They were awfully close. This was how many federal contractors would give an MP's wife a $20,000 trip to London, England. Not that many. (laughs) It would be a lot of questions. And there were a lot of questions in this one, Arlene. There were, you know, and it's very interesting to see these figures. It would it would anyway, because this is a story that we paid attention to and we're still paying attention to. But as I said, Tom, this is during an election campaign where character and past behavior is important. Justin Trudeau is trying to get reelected and also wants a majority. And, you know, we asked ourselves, what, what really was the point of, of the We Charity stories and the news stories, the broadcasts on this? It was illustrative of what became a pattern uh, over the course of the pandemic, and that was the rules didn't apply. They're strict rules. They would choke a horse, detailed rules of how to ethically and properly contract to ensure value for taxpayers' money 
and adequate service to the government of Canada. All those went out the window in the pandemic, Arlene. They all went out the window. We Charity was on the inside track for a $43.5 million grant. We see contractors got sole-sourced contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars that were never put to public bidding. That means, according to the procurement ombudsman, taxpayers will never know if you got value for the dollar. Did you get value? Could you have paid less? Did you even need those supplies in the first place? That was epidemic in this pandemic. All the rules went out the window. And it adds up to the feeling we have about things as we go to the polls. Also in the breaking news, two new Democratic candidates having to say bye-bye just a week, less than a week, Tom, before we go to the polls for anti-Semitic comments. We see this happen a lot on the campaign trail, how people behaved in their previous life. But what's, what strikes us about this is this wasn't so long ago, Tom. No, it was not ancient history. The candidate in particular in Toronto, St. Paul's, should have known better. There were anti-Israel slurs that she tweeted in January that were simply uh, bizarre and offensive. What was interesting was New Democrat leader Jagmeet Singh stood by that candidate as late as yesterday and said apology, not censure, was sufficient. That's interesting. Because Mr. Singh had advocated for cabinet proposals to control internet content, to have censorship of hurtful, inaccurate, false comments that vilify identifiable groups. He was all for that until it came to the candidate in Toronto St. Paul's. I guess he had a day to think about it and changed his mind and decided he would censure that candidate, though she remains on the ballot. That's the funny thing. Arlene, when people talk about restricting free speech and censorship, it always hurts when it applies to your team. As long as it's somebody else, it's it's a comfortable place because we're good people and they're the bad people. What that candidate in Toronto St. Paul's wrote about uh, mm-hmm. Israel allegedly hoarding precious COVID vaccines was not only false, it was frankly disgusting. And that remained on that woman's Twitter feed for months until the uh, friends of Simon Wiesenthal spotted it. Unbelievable. There's so many aspects of this when, when you really look at it, isn't it? That, you know, as you say, it's always hurtful when the other person does it. It's a sign of greater things. It's a sign of rot. And over and over, and we've certainly seen it on this campaign, that it has almost been a level playing field. It's been hitting candidates here and there. Never mind, we saw the interactions, what were happening in the Green Party before the campaign was launched. But what does it do, in your opinion, to the public psyche of this? Does it make us not pay attention? How does it open our eyes? Well, I think it tells you something about the inadequate vetting of candidates by party headquarters, but that's a little bit of inside baseball. I think it does tell you that, you know, uh, God bless the people who disclose these things. The, The main thing is just disclose it. I'm not an advocate of censorship. It's not my business whether these candidates resigned or not, but every voter should know that I am seeing the name of a candidate on a ballot And this person is of such a temperament and they are of such a mindset or a worldview that they will say something very, very stupid 
about Israel hoarding vaccines. Do I want that person representing me in the only place where I have an advocate as an elector, and that's the House of Commons? Of course not in this case. But why does that not occur to people who select candidates in the first place? Mm-hmm. Arlene, these were not mm-hmm. contested nominations. These were candidates that were assigned by headquarters. And we've seen this over and over again, makes us scratch our heads. You know, we've seen all sorts of vetting processes. Can we say governor general? (laughs) And now we're seeing it again on the campaign trail. You know, as we talk about inappropriate, and that may be uh, the topic for our chat today, we also have the public works minister, Anita Arnon, who apparently called a federal contractor in a colleague's writing uh, to, quote, speak about your needs. There were internal emails. And this has to do with a huge contract for COVID ventilators. You know, we were talking earlier about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, how you flip the rules. Here's another example of what taxpayers don't know. Interesting case, uh, Thornhill Medical, headquartered in the Minister of Finance's riding in Toronto, University Rosedale. Finance Minister boasted of that, how amazing Thornhill Medical was. Thornhill Medical received a sole source contract for $200 million for ventilators that um, the Department of Health didn't want. We see internal emails. The Department of Health had questions about the usefulness of the machines in a hospital setting. And they had questions about the price. Sole source contract, no one got to bid on those. And you know what happened to those ventilators? We know from the Department of Health. They were shipped up here to Ottawa and went right into a warehouse. They never went to any hospital or ICU unit. In this case, the CEO of the company was got a personal call from the Minister of Public Works who signed the contract, as you mentioned, quote unquote, that's right out of the internal emails we obtained. How can I speak to you about your needs? Well, who, who wouldn't want a call like that? I'm up 200 million yeah, on the hey, deal. Let's give out our numbers here, Tom. No call. <laughs> Life can be sweet, Arlene. Not for many, but for a few. Yeah, absolutely. Inappropriate, our topic today. And Tom Korski, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Take care. My pleasure, Arlene. Thank you kindly. Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Black Locks Reporter. We're going to take a break and we will return for Alex Pearson tonight. I'm Arlene Bynum. This is On Point Global News Radio.